the priestly line now chosen through the chosen one. Adorned with strands and stones woven and wound, pointing to the God who never forgets those who are his. And step after step, turn by turn, being led and directed with hearts surrendered, we discern what we should do. Lord, what should we do? These everyday reminders of our fractured fellowship with the Father, needing gift after gift to wipe the slate clean, just enough for good enough. But the cycle would be broken through the final solution for sin, the offering himself, offering rescue and freedom and hope and life, life and more life. The ecstatic exuberance of a gift freely given and the joy found in bringing back to God what belonged to him all along. Every unearned opportunity to give back to the giver through each aromatic offering of the ordinary, not born in the obligatory, but instead with delight and devotion, surrender and worship. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Oh, some of you are like, no, it's still morning. I have a question I would like to ask you. It's a very simple question. What does it mean to be close to God? What does it mean to be close to God? We sing about it in our songs. We read books where authors talk about it. Certainly the Bible speaks to it. And uh, we hear it preached. But what does it really mean to be close to God? I guess the question I would ask you right now is, do you feel, do you feel close to God? There's a word in the Bible that um, describes being close with God. It's a necessary part of being close to God. And it's the word holy or holiness. And this weekend and next weekend, as we close out our series, what it means to encounter God, where we've been looking at the tabernacle and the temple, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be holy and how do you live a holy life out? Now, holiness in its most basic definition means to be set apart. God sets himself apart to us. We are to be set apart to God. But what does what does holy mean beyond that? I grew up uh, in a movement called the Holiness Movement. I grew up in a church that was called a Holiness Church, which as I've gotten older and I've reflected on that, I thought to myself, well, how did that make all the other churches feel? The unholy movement, the unholy churches? It's kind of like, you know, when you have First Baptist Church, does that mean all other Baptist churches are secondary? My understanding of holiness, though, was kind of warped as a kid. This isn't a slam on the holiness movement or holiness churches, but at least in my environment, it was, it was really hard. And as a kid, as, as I thought about what holiness meant, I, I thought holiness was just really kind of serious and kind of sour and kind of, kind of dark. I don't mean dark like evil, but just kind of dark. One of the reasons might have been because the preachers that I can remember in those days, in those churches, they, they always wore really dark suits, white shirts, skinny black ties, 
black shoes, and they sat in great big chairs on the platform, and there'd be a massive pulpit in front of them. And I remember as a kid, I kind of peeked behind the pulpit, and there'd be the old preacher with his legs, you know, crossed, and his black pants halfway up his white shin, and I thought, is that holy? (laughs) If that's what holiness is, I don't want to become like that. Holiness, uh, when I was a kid growing up, seemed to mean that you had to be in church all the time. So we were taking a Sunday school, Sunday morning service. We went Sunday night service. We went to Wednesday night prayer meeting. And back in those days, churches, especially the holiness churches, would have revivals, usually twice a year. A week one half of the year and a two-week revival the other half of the year. And so I'd have to go to church to to every revival meeting, which meant that, you know, 14 days in a row— spent in some kind of church experience. I thought, man, if that's holiness, I don't know if I can be holy. And then there were rules. Uh, it was preached. We were told that it is a sin to play cards. It is a sin to go to the movie house. It's what it was called in those days. It's a sin to dance, and it's a sin to wear too much jewelry, and on and on and on it went. And I thought to myself, if that's holiness, I don't think I'm ever going to qualify, and I don't want to be holy if that's what holiness is. So the question is, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? And to answer that question, we're going to look at a specific book that is rarely looked at, rarely preached on, and rarely read by Christians. But it's a very important book in the Old Testament because it's all about holiness. But before we get there, I have a couple of things I want to say. So first of all, one of my favorite scholars, Bible scholars, is Dr. Tim Mackey who uh, has his Ph.D. in Semitic languages and biblical studies. He's also one of the geniuses behind the Bible Project, which is like my favorite, favorite site because it speaks my language in terms of how I think and, and, and visually, etc. And, and I love that. And, and so I'm going to share some of the things that they have uh, in the explanation of this book. So I want to give credit to where credit is due, although I feel like they ripped off my board, but that's okay. It's another issue. All right? That was a joke. Uh, But I was doing my board before the Bible Project. Uh, Do I have a hang-up or something? I don't know. Uh, Secondly, I want to invite all our students to get involved. So if you are in eighth grade and under, I want you to draw with me. So we do some drawing, a lot of sketching, a lot of writing, a lot of drawing. I want you to draw with me. And I want you to keep track how many times they say holy or holiness. Because after the service, if you come up front, show me your drawing, show me how times you put holy or holiness, I've got a gift card for you from Chick-fil-A for dessert, all right? All right, for, for a dessert. We reached out to our Chick-fil-A friends, and they said, sure, we'll help you out. So uh, you'll need to come up front. My wife, Marsha, will be here. Pastor Kyle will be here, and they'll be distributing the cards according to which store you're going to go to, all right? So uh, that, that's to keep you engaged out. Please listen carefully, eighth grade and under. If you're an adult, don't come walking up on your knees pretending you are younger than you are. Now, for those of you who have the little ones, you can help them out, obviously, right, with, with doing this. So, with that said, I want you to give a round of applause to the book of the Bible we're going to look at because it's so abused. It is the book of Leviticus. All right. Some of you are like, who? Leviticus? 
Not that book. You need to offer a gift card to every adult here if we're going to look at Leviticus. Like, that's that whole book about rules and regulations. Don't touch, don't taste, don't do this. Really? Leviticus? Yes. It's God's inspired book. And if you understand it properly, you'll understand how important it really is and how it speaks. So we're going to sketch it out. We're going to draw it out in, in a Bible project kind of format. Here's what I want you to do. Right in the middle of your paper or whatever you're drawing on, just write the name God underscore and underneath God just write the word holy okay because God is holy and then make like a sun so just kind of draw a little circle around God and holy and get it raised because the sun gives off its energy right it's the glory of the sun or those sun rays and so we want to reflect the glory of God then on either side draw a person and then underscore and the letter S that does not stand for superman or superwoman that stands for sin Draw one on the other side as well, which also underscore represents sin. And what Leviticus does is Leviticus takes up this whole issue of how is it that sinful human beings can be in the presence of God. It's kind of like saying how close can you get to the sun before the sun will burn you up? Well, I mean, we're quite a distance away right now and sometimes in certain parts of the earth it gets really hot. You get too close to the sun, you are, you're dead, and it will, it will burn you up. Well, God is holy. How close can sinners get before they're burned up, so to speak, by God's holiness? And the book of Leviticus is all about how to approach, how to get near to God. So here's what I want you to do. On one side of your paper, I just want you to draw a rectangle, all right? Draw a rectangle and put... 1 through 7, that stands for chapters 1 through 7. The first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus deal with what we call ritual sacrifices. Ritual sacrifices. And there are two kinds. The first kind has to do with saying thanks to God. So thank you, God. And you have grain offerings that are used to say thank you, God. And you have fellowship offerings that are used to say thank you to God. Then there are sacrifices or offerings that are made that are a way of saying, sorry, God, I, I did what was wrong, I disobeyed, and I'm sorry for what I did. This has to do with burnt sacrifices that are made. This has to do with um, uh, uh, what we call restitution offerings that are made. This has to do with offerings of purification as well, which will be made before God. Then draw a second rectangle, okay? A second rectangle. And this is going to be chapters 8 through 10. Now, you're not just staring at my back. You're drawing along, right? Chapters 8 through 10. And this has to do with the, the priests and their ordination. So the priest's ordination. And we think about Aaron, right? And we think about his sons. And you don't want to miss next weekend because we're going to look at two of his sons for a couple of minutes. Uh, Nadab and Abihu who get too close, too close to God. And as a result, they are burned up. And you'll find out why they are burned up next weekend. All right. Then draw a third rectangle down here. All right. And put down there chapters 11 through 15. And this has to do with rituals, all right, of purity, rituals of purity. Now, one of the words you have to understand is this word impure. That means to not be pure, to be dirty, all right, so to speak. 
all of us, all of us are impure. Jeremiah says their hearts are so wicked, so desperately wicked, we don't even know how wicked and evil that our hearts are. So we have a, a very sinful or wicked condition, but there are also things that, that can happen to us in the, in the book of Leviticus, in the Old Testament, there are things that would happen to people that would render them impure as well. Like, like uh, if they got leprosy or some kind of skin disease or women at certain times in a month, that would render them unclean before God. There are also all kinds of rules about things that you cannot touch. You can't touch something dead, for instance, or things that you cannot taste. You can't taste pork, for instance. Some of the things we understand why God said no to, some of the things only God knows why he said no, but the Israelites weren't supposed to touch or taste because it rendered them in an even more impure state. You can't come before God. Then on the bottom, I want you to do another rectangle, okay? And on this one, just write in there 16 through 17. Chapter 16 through 17 deal with Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. All right, the Day of Atonement. I'm going to debut my goat drawing now. Remember, you have the high priest, all right? And uh, the high priest's responsibility on the Day of Atonement is to make sacrifices, not only for himself, but for the sins of the people. So, for instance, he takes a goat, all right? My goats look more like cows. I can't help it, all right? And uh, one of them gets sacrificed for the sins of the nation. His blood is sprinkled on the east side of the mercy seat. The other goat, however, is what's known as a scapegoat, right? That one looks like a donkey, but anyway. Uh, and the scapegoat is led out. So scape, S-C-A-P-E, is led out of the camp after the high priest lays his hands on it and confesses the sins of the nation. It's taken out into the wilderness in a way, all right? Then over here, just draw your next rectangle, all right? And this rectangle is going to be chapters 18 through 20. This has to do with moral purity. So moral purity. God commands, first of all, that they take care of the poor. So there's, there's the morality in terms of looking out for each other, right? So care for the poor. Then there's a whole section about sexual purity, all right? So you have to be sexually pure. And then there's the equivalent of what we would we would describe as social justice that also must be exercised, okay? Draw another rectangle. And in this rectangle, we have chapters 21 through chapter 22. This has to do with the priest's qualifications. Not everybody can be a priest. Priests have to behave a certain way that others aren't required to behave, live a different lifestyle. That's because the priest stands before God and the priest stands before the people. He represents the people to God. He makes intercession for the people and then he speaks to the people for God as well. And not just anybody can do that. You have to be qualified in a certain way. Finally, one skinny rectangle at the top, all right? And that is going to be chapters 23 through chapters 25. And this has to do with ritual feasts that are to be observed. There are seven of them. They are associated with the calendar. And these feasts are observed to do things like celebrate the blessings of God, the rescue of God, the protection of God, the covering of God. And it's to be done all year round. 
Then one last rectangle right in the middle. This is the last two chapters, chapters 26, chapters 27. This has to do with the covenant that God has made with the people. And in essence, God is saying, if you do all of this, if you follow my prescription and you obey me, you'll have peace and you'll have abundance. But if you do the opposite, which is what? The opposite of obey is to disobey. Oh, I know you're more familiar with that word than you, than you sound. One more time. Disobey, right? If you disobey me, then you'll experience disaster and exile. Now, Stan Guthrie says that the key verse, the, the kind of the linchpin verse for Ezekiel, the center verse, and I think he's right, is Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 through 45. Here's what it says. In Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, we read, I am the, can you guys put it up? I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Now pay attention to that. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Now, if you listen to that verse carefully, those verses carefully, what they're in essence saying is this. If you want to be close to me, you've got to be like me. If you want to be holy, you, gotta be, you have to be holy like I am holy. So to be close to God, to, for me to say, I am walking close to God means I am as holy as God. Uh-oh. Stand back and look at our, our chart and our drawing up here. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to do all of this and to be as holy as God? And the answer to the question is no. Nobody can be as holy as God. And in fact, the only one who ever gets close to God is the high priest. And only one day of a year, he has to be really careful how he does it. He's got to observe all these different offerings and sacrifices. He's got to make sure he's confessed to sins. And it's kind of dangerous to go into God's presence. He's got a rope tied around. And what happens? And the rest of Israel, they can only get so close to God, and that's it. Some of them, if they're, if they're impure, like they have leprosy, unless their leprosy is cured, they never get near to God. Which raises the question, then, why did God write out all these things through his servant Moses? Why does he tell us all these things if none of them can make us holy like God is holy? And the Apostle Paul answers the question for us. In Galatians chapter 3, Apostle Paul says, why then was the law given? Now, you need to read the whole context to appreciate it. He says, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Aha! So the book of Leviticus is meant to reveal to the people and to us, I believe, that all of us are sinners. That we really cannot get close enough to God. No matter how we try to keep the law, we got all these things that we have to do because we can't keep the law just, just so God can tolerate us. Because we're such sinful people. Paul goes on, he says, if the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. And the the reality is, we can't perfectly obey it. That's why all the offerings, all the sacrifices. And then Paul says, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. And I want you to remember that. 
and you'll see why in a few minutes. The scriptures reveal that we are all prisoners of sin. The law reminds me that I'm a sinner. If I'm traveling down the freeway and there's no speed limit sign, then I can't be accused of breaking the speed limit law. But if I see the sign, if the sign is posted, and they are, 35, 55, 65, whatever it is, that makes me conscious now that I have to stay within a certain speed. If I break that, I am breaking the law. I'm a sinner. So God's law is meant to show us that we're sinful. Paul said, I would not know sin if it wasn't for the law. The law exposes my sinfulness. So it's necessary in that sense. So here's what I want you to notice from what we've drawn out here. All of this that we've drawn out in one way or another is an attempt to try to be holy enough to exist in the presence of God, but it doesn't quite work. It never makes us like God enough to actually be in God's presence itself. But there's a subtle shift that happens in the Bible. As you study the Old Testament, as you move along, all of a sudden you see God doing some things that, that don't require us doing anything. So what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision, amazing vision. Look what he says in verse 1. He says in Isaiah 6, 1, It was in the year King Uzziah died... Then I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a holy throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, <clears throat> whether he's seen the heavenly temple, so to speak, or this vision is in Jerusalem, I don't know. Attending him were mighty seraphim, these angelic creatures, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. So why, why are they covering their faces with two wings? Because they attend God. They attend to God in his presence. And God is so holy, right? He's so radiant. They can't look on the holiness of God. That's really important for us to understand because of what's going to happen next. It says, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They're calling out to each other. Yeah, mark these down, students. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So what a vision Isaiah is having. Their voice shook the temple to its foundations. The entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm a dead man. Or he says in the passage here, the way the New Living Translation translates it, I am doomed. Now why is he saying I'm dead, I'm doomed? Because he sees God. He's in the very presence of God. Who can live in the presence of God? He says, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. It's all over. I'm done. I'm dead. But watch what happens. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. So he takes this burning coal from the presence of God and he, he brings it to Isaiah. What does he do? He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal 
has touched your lips. Now look what happens. This is beautiful. Now your sin is removed. Remember the Day of Atonement and the goats? Now your sin is removed. And, uh, now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Has nothing to do with any of these other aspects in Leviticus. Isaiah hasn't made some sacrifice, hasn't gone through some purity ritual. He's just standing there as guilty as can be. And the seraphim touches his lips with his coal from God's presence. And is declared guiltless, sins forgiven. Hey, something's happening here. That doesn't sound like the book of Leviticus. What's going on? I've been doing my quiet time through the Old Testament. I just finished Ezekiel several weeks ago. Ezekiel's an interesting book to read. Read it before, but this time it just had special meaning for me. When you get to Ezekiel chapter 47, you encounter another vision. Another prophet, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, has this vision of the temple. And out of the temple comes this stream of water. And the stream goes behind Jerusalem into the wilderness. Marcia and I have been in the wilderness. It is truly a wilderness. Inhospitable. Dry as dry can be. And as the stream goes along, it becomes a deep river. It makes its way to the wadis. And it comes to the Dead Sea, which is dead, called Dead Sea for a reason. And everywhere the stream goes, out of the temple, out of the presence of God, it turns everything lush around it. Even in the wilderness, it becomes lush. And the Dead Sea comes to life. It becomes an oasis. It becomes like the Garden of Eden. What does that mean? Coming out of God's presence now, something is happening. Coming out of God's presence What's unclean is made clean, coming out of God's presence. What is dead is coming to life. What's that point to? It's a prelude to who is about to emerge in the New Testament. God is going to show up. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus shows up. And as you read the life of Jesus, you notice that he touches a lot of people and when he touches them something powerful happens let me just give you one example if you want to do kind of a, a fun bible study just get your uh bible concordance out electronically or you've got the old-fashioned one in a, in a book if you don't know what a concordance is uh, uh pastor cal and i or somebody else would be at the front we'd be happy to explain what one of them is to you but you can look up where where a word like touch is used throughout the bible Look up touch the New Testament. Look how many times Jesus touches and something happens. Example, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy, aha, one of the conditions of impurity that keeps you from the presence of God. It says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can, make, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And so we follow Jesus throughout the Gospels. And everywhere he goes, as he touches people, power comes out of him. He changes their condition. Raises them to life. 
cures them, heals them, forgives them. Well, what is all of that touching? What is all that release of power pointing to? It is pointing to the cross. And it is on the cross where God releases his glory. God releases his power. That changes the world. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And those who put their faith in his son, like many of us, and those who are watching online, changes your life. But look how it changes our lives. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, God has united you with Christ by grace through faith. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him to be wisdom itself. Now look what he says. Christ made us right with God. The law can't make me right with God. But Christ makes me right with God. He made us pure and what? Pure and what? Holy. Remember I said, remember the end of the Galatians passage I gave you? Sin makes us prisoners. Look how Paul ends 1 Corinthians 1.30. And he freed us from sin. So the law reminds us that we are prisoners of sin. Jesus shows up and he fulfills the law on my behalf and he unlocks the door, so to speak, and he sets me free. Not only that, but he then declares over me that I am holy and it has nothing to do with offerings or sacrifices that I make or rituals that I observe. He makes the ultimate sacrifice. He makes the ultimate offering. He fulfills everything for me on my behalf. I, he becomes me. I become him. And God looks at me like I'm holy, like he is holy. Because, listen, I am holy like he is holy. Remember when you were a kid? For some of us, that's a little harder work. Remember when you were a kid? You would pretend sometimes to be somebody else, like a superhero. My brother and I used to take tablecloths while mom was at work, out of the house during the summer when we were off from school. We would get up on benches and chairs with our cape on, and we would pretend as we jumped off the fly. <laughs> In case you are wondering, I am not Superman. Or any superhero. And you aren't either. You were just pretending and I was pretending to be somebody we could never be. But now we're not talking about pretending anymore. I'm telling you right now, you are as holy as God is holy. In fact, I want you at, online and here in the room, let's just say I am holy together. One, two, three. I am holy. That just seems weird, huh? The other day I had you say I'm the righteousness of God. Now I've got you saying I am holy so you married people, the next time you have a fuss with your spouse, just look at your spouse and say, honey, I just want to remind you, say it very humbly, so I remind you I'm holy. <laughs> you kids, next time, you know, your mom and dad get after you because you didn't do something right, very humbly, kind of put your head down, you know, fold your hands in front of you and say, mom, dad, I just want to remind you I'm holy. <laughs> like we did, we, and that's weird, right? Is it weird to think that after you've misbehaved, you could look and say, but I am holy. But you are. 
It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your efforts. You are not holy because you're so good. You're not holy because you go to church so much. You're not holy because you have the book of Leviticus memorized or whatever it is. What makes you holy has nothing to do with you. It's a declaration made about you by God. Now the question is, how do I, how do I move into it? How do I press into it? How you know, like the radiance is coming out. How does the radiance of God's presence manifest itself in my life? That's what we're going to talk about next weekend. How do you live this out? But first, I, I've got to get you and, and, and me to understand our holiness has nothing to do with us. If, if you're still struggling with that, read the uh, book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul starts out in verse 2 by telling them they're all saints. They're all holy and then as you keep reading, he goes on and he tells them, you are holy, but you're prideful, you're carnal, you're self-deceived, you're guilty of allowing immorality in your midst, you're worldly, and really you're spiritually underachievers. <laughs> but you're holy. Why? Because holiness is something that God imputes into my life. It's the holiness of Christ that comes into me, that God sees and accepts me, and I can be close with God. What grieves the heart of God, however, is when he gives us that standing, but we still choose to live carnally. How do you live this holy life? It's not rules, it's not regulations. It's something much different. We'll look at that next weekend. Right now, accept this, that if you are a sincere follower of Jesus, no matter how young or old you are, you are holy. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for making us holy. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died as though he were us. He died as though he was me. He became the sin, the guilt, the shame, the regret. And I have become him to you. It has nothing to do with me. Father, help us to surrender to this holiness. Help us to surrender to this presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.